Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, we'll get to film study in just a minute, but I got to share this with you. Do you know what that sound is? It's the sound of me opening up my fresh can of Liquid Death. Make sure you guys are checking out Liquid Death. I love it. I've been drinking a ton of it lately. There's something magical about it. Somehow the water in a can just seems colder than any bottle I've used before. Make sure you're checking out Liquid Death. Pick it up next time you're at the grocery store. I love it. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the defense, something we don't necessarily want to do, but we have to do, about the defense against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. And here to talk about it with me, as you can see, is Jordan Coe from the Ravens Situation Room. How are you doing? Good, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be sharing my face for once. <laughs> always always a pleasure, man. And uh, uh, always great to talk football with you, as, as we know. But uh uh, you know, another difficult game to watch, obviously, to have the Ravens lose another big lead. Uh, they've lost big leads and they've lost close games, and it's uh, difficult to, to see it continue. Yeah, you know, it's a tough one. And, you know, we're here to talk about the defense, but, you know, it, it's hard to pin this one on the Ravens defense. They played pretty well overall. I certainly some things they could have done better. Um, but, you know, it comes down to, I think, a different side of the ball when, when you look, take a look at what happened in this one. Yeah, certainly were some some uh, both sides could have done a little better probably, but the but the offense certainly could have uh, could have held the ball a little longer, could have moved the ball a little better, could have converted some opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. We'll talk about a lot of that as we go. Folks joining us, glad to see you here. Uh, a fair number of you already here, and uh, uh, want to hear your questions and comments. We'll try and get to them as we go. I'll try and plunk plunk them up on the screen. We have a mailbag segment at the end. If we miss some, we'll hope to get to some of them then and. Uh, Jordan, you and I will kind of share responsibility for watching this feed as it goes. Thanks for uh, uh, taking uh, uh, for folks who are listening. This is a podcast. You won't actually get to see those, but we'll we'll talk through some of these. So five consecutive home losses now by a total of twelve points. Uh, incredible 
frankly. You know, a couple of one-point losses last December. Uh, uh, I believe it's a, a two or three and a four. No, that's not quite right, but it's it's in that in that ballpark. It might be a three or three and a four now in uh, in other losses. Yeah, it's it's really surprising to see. You know, some of this dates back to non-Lamar time, but you know, when we're when we're looking at Lamar and what Lamar has been able to do for this team. You know, in these close games, you know, he's undercredited, I think, a little bit for his ability to come back and put this team back in games. Um, and so, you know, this one was a little bit of a disappointment in that it was it was him and not Huntley. Um, and they still couldn't find their way to get over the hump. And and obviously the seven point seventeen point giveaway is the the bigger stinger. Yeah. And and you know, to lose to lose uh two two of these games in succession by Two of the largest margins they've ever blown in leads. They blew a 21-point lead, I remember, against the Steelers on a great double event day in Baltimore. You had a, had a playoff game for baseball going on the same day. You had a football game. And I left the the uh, uh, Memorial Stadium to go to Camden Yards, hmm. and the Ravens were up 21 nothing, And, you know, they, they blew the game while we were at Camden Yards. So hmm. that wasn't pleasant. Yeah, it's just rough to see these big time losses and big moments. And, you know, obviously what are going to be important games also down the stretch, you know, when, when you're looking at standings, I mean, this is essentially, I think is an eliminating factor for the Ravens being a serious contender for the buy, unless something, something really implodes for Buffalo on the other side of this. And so, um, you know, I think either loss, they could have maybe gotten by, especially with Miami picking off Buffalo. Um, but uh, with both of them, it seems to, it, it's a pretty big setback from an AFC perspective. It is. I, I think it's it's a fairly balanced AFC at this point. You have the Bills, and they appeared to be the strongest team in the in the conference. I would have said, and then they they you know they go ahead and get beat by Miami. They they come in and win a very tight one here against the Ravens, where I don't think they looked like they dominated the Ravens certainly from start to finish. Uh, but but the the conference top to bottom is very balanced. In fact, if the playoffs started today, I believe the Ravens would be the seven seed. Uh, two and two. So, you know, you don't have all, you know, no one's undefeated in the conference, only two, three and one teams, I believe right now with, uh, with Buffalo. No, Buffalo, Miami, Kansas city are all three and one, aren't they? So that three, yep. three and one teams. Yep. But, uh, but anyway, tight conference, lots of time to come back still. Uh, we're coming into a really important week right away against the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. And, you know, I expect, I expect the Ravens to bounce back a little bit in, in the Cincinnati game and kind of be forced to rise to the occasion. They get that. It's a Monday night game, I think. So they get that extra day to prepare as well. So um, they kind of, is it a Sunday night game or is it a Monday night next week? Sunday night. Sunday night. So they get a little bit of extra time, but I, I think they're going to come out kind of ready and prepared and, and, you know, they seem to answer the bell in the new England game. And I think we're going to see something similar in Cincinnati. Yeah, I agree. The the uh, the combination of things is creating a really uncomfortable environment, I think, for Harbaugh right now. Uh, he's under fire, obviously, for all the close losses, but he's also under fire for what's the talk of the week now or the talk of the day since it happened, the fourth and goal decision from the two-yard line. And so we, we I, I kind of want to talk about this for a few minutes here because this is it's one of these decisions that I think um, – I don't think it'll affect Harbaugh's job. I think Bishotti is extremely clever about uh, uh, understanding how decisions are made and what's going on. They're, you know, they're following their process of using a model. But one of the issues with using models at all, and I hate calling this analytics because it's basic decision tree mathematics. It's, it's just it's the most simple thing. You, it, we learned this in high school, folks. 
literally, I, and I, I, uh, I, I hate to, to make it more than what it is. Okay. But uh, one of the things about these models and about using math to make your decisions and not taking the coward's way out, and I've indices for that too, about cowardly punts in particular, is that it creates a lot of high leverage plays. And high leverage plays create debate over whether the, the high leverage decision was correct when, you know, punting on fourth and one is not examined the same way. Maybe it is more than it used to be, but it's not examined in the, from the same way uh, as uh, as going for a fourth and two uh, with a game tied. Yeah, well, and this one, I, I mean, you know, for whatever you want to say about models, et cetera, this one was a pretty clear go for me. Um, mm-hmm. The Ravens literally had the worst outcome possible happen here because not only do you not complete the play, but you also have a 20-yard swing in terms of field position, which is mm-hmm. a big part of the decision is the fact that if you don't convert, barring a turnover, you know, and even with a loss of one or two yards on the ground, you're, you've got Josh Allen backed up. You force them a bit to kind of either have to run the ball or get the, get the ball out quickly. You have three or four or at least a couple downs where situationally you know what you're going to get um, and, and you get to attack them that way. And you lose that factor when, when you throw the interception. Um, and so obviously hindsight is 2020, but if they were on the one instead of, you know, instead of on the 20, I I think that would have made a a really big difference for ultimately what ended up happening in that last last drive too. And people want to overlook that, like the outcome that happened was common. I mean, look at the number of times Lamar has thrown the ball from kind of the two yard line starting, you know, inside the red zone. And they're unfortunately what, like of the three, three or four times he's turned the ball over now, two of them have been interceptions Mm -hmm. to Buffalo um in weather games in really high stakes potential games as well um so that's all super unfortunate but you know i mean you're a math guy you get this and sometimes that's just the way the dice break and you know it it didn't work out perfectly and it was it was worst case scenario obviously uh you know i i think in in almost every possible way for what the outcome ended up being yeah i see a comment from logan here that that says that he thinks the fourth down call was the right decision unfortunately just the worst possible outcome I would agree. I mean, there are worse possible outcomes. It could have been a pick six. It could have been a fumble return for a touchdown on a sack, say. But it's just about it's a 95th percentile negative uh, consequence of, of, you know, result, I, I should say. And it did. It really changes the expected points dramatically to start at the one or the two instead of the 20. And you know, Harbaugh couldn't have been expecting that thing. But either either way, even if he even if he feared uh, uh, an end zone interception. It doesn't. It doesn't change the math of the situation. You still have, uh, you know, risk you take to try and get ahead. Th- there's the other side of this: is what would they have gained by the various choices they could have made? So let's call the three automatic. It wouldn't have been necessarily completely automatic, but pretty damn close with Justin Tucker and and more more important, the weather and the holder. I think in this game, that's what I was. I actually stayed around for the last you know moment of the game to make sure Buffalo made the field goal. Uh, you know, obviously hoping they missed it, but but the uh, uh, the hold would have was you know a little bit tricky in this situation. So uh, if they if they score three, the big giveaway from that, or if they score at all for that matter, is that it changes the game from three down defense to four down defense. So if you don't score and the game is tied, it's a three down defensive opportunity for for your team. Meaning they can stop Josh Allen on three downs and the Bills have to seriously consider punting depending on down and distance at the end of that at point, which is huge. 
There's another factor I'll get to, but I, I, I want to let you comment on that before I move on. Well, I, you know, I think that that may not actually be the case either. You know, the Buffalo is pretty aggressive in terms of how it goes for, on fourth downs. There, there was a situation earlier in the game where I thought that they were going to kick the field goal and they went for it. And the Ravens, if not for an amazing play by Allen getting outside of the grasp of OA, you know, would have stopped them in that situation too. So I, mm -hmm. I think the Buffalo, you know, as long as they weren't in like third and very long kind of situation, I think they're the, they've got the kind of demeanor where they would be going for it. So, I, you know, I, I don't know that it changes that dynamic as drastically as it might with another team. Okay. And that's, that's probably true in terms of, of the analytics, but I am going to say it eliminates them going forward on fourth and six on their own side of the field or, or, or situations like that, probably fourth and three on their own side of the field, whether or not they go for it on fourth and two from their own 40, that would become a more interesting question and maybe more team dependent. And if you're up against the chargers and their current coach, he might go for it. I don't know. I don't know in the case of the bills, if they would really risk it. Uh, you got the Ravens on, on their back foot with a terrible half of offensive football. You might decide to kick that ball. Um, if that game is still tied, the Ravens still hadn't, wouldn't have scored since halftime. At, at that point. So I, I'm, I'm really not sure, but I think you're probably right. There is a, there is a slice of fourth down situations where you're still playing four down football uh, in those circumstances. I don't know how much more four down football you're playing in that situation than at any other time during the game. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about the other side of this though, that the Ravens could have scored seven on the play. Now, if they score seven, what do they gain additionally from that as opposed to scoring three? Well, obviously, it's a lead in either case, but the seven points is a touchdown, ties the game, or forces a two-point conversion try, which we're, for, for these purposes, we're going to call the equivalent of tying the game. But I think the, the interesting thing it does is it changes the time dynamic of the game. You can't slow play a touchdown drive the way you can slow play a field goal drive or even a field goal minimum a touchdown maximum drive. We look back at Ravens history, December 25th, 2016. They lost a game to the Steelers that I've whined about a lot since. Uh, we had uh, the Steelers, the Ravens go ahead by three points. They were down four. They went ahead by three on Kyle Juszczyk's 10-yard touchdown run where they broke through on third and one. And I said that, that the order's got to be in the huddle to down that ball at the one-yard line because otherwise you're giving Pittsburgh – a chance to come back from a three-point deficit with about a minute and a half left, I think it was. And uh, and they, they, obviously it wasn't there. They could have drained the clock pretty much entirely if, they, if they'd been two plays later, drained most of it, including the Pittsburgh timeout, if, they, if they'd scored one play later. So, you know, and then, of course, the immaculate extension, as they call it now, in Pittsburgh happened, and they, they won the division on that play. So really unfortunate kind of situation, but we have an analog in Ravens history that tells you, don't be up three in that situation when you're giving a team a long field. It's four down football with a with a field goal minimum and touchdown maximum for the win. Yeah, it, you know, obviously, optimally, you score the touchdown there. I, I mean, that that's what the Ravens are trying to do, regardless in that situation. Actually, it, what you just saying that actually triggered something that you said earlier, which was that a worst case scenario might have been a pick six, and I don't know that that's necessarily true in the way that the game ended ended up because you would have gotten the ball back and the Ravens tried to let them score. And for whatever, oh, I finally decides to make a tackle. No, that's that, that, that's taking it too far. He actually didn't have that terrible of a game, but he did mm -hmm. have a couple of moments where he missed some big tackles, finally comes up and makes a tackle in that situation uh, when it would have been worthwhile to, to miss that one. So, 
Um, you know, obviously the touchdown is optimal in that situation. You know, I know we're here to talk about the defense. You know, it really looked like J.K. Dobbins was out of gas even before Justice Hill got hurt. Um, and and when once they started feeding him the ball, you know, when he did get hurt, I thought he just looked cooked and and he was done. Um, and I wonder how much that you know I, it didn't seem like that was a factor, but you know, on the on the um, on the what was it the second down play after the Duvernay uh, you know reception to the to the two yard line Dobbins had a cutback lane and he just never even tried to get there he just looked like he was gassed that he was done mm -hmm. like in terms of you know you got a guy that's coming back you know you got to make uh, it, it frustrates me in that sense I guess or that if that's how the Ravens felt like they weren't going to be able to run the ball and Buffalo felt like they knew that when they were running the ball, they were going to be able to stop them. You know, maybe that is consideration that you have to kick the field goal there, though, because it takes away a really high percentage portion of your ability to score score or not have to turn the ball over or, you know, the whoopsies, you know, blow up plays happen when you're throwing the ball there. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I agree with that. One of the funny things on the fourth and two play, you saw Mike Davis was in the game split wide left. I did not. I didn't. I didn't notice that. Okay. I only Sorry, watched left one time right. extra. Yeah. So, so he was he was slot left. He didn't even play that many snaps. I mean, I didn't notice him in the game before. Then I have to actually look and see how many snaps he played on the game. There, he played. Let's see, two offensive snaps, and of course, one of them is the most important, highest leverage snap of the game. And he he wasn't really covered in the slot. It they they had an opportunity to rotate their coverages and create something that that it might have been a a trick to try and get Jackson to throw the ball to Davis, but Davis looked like off the line of scrimmage there was kind of an off coverage on him and the outside guy could have moved in to make a play on the football potentially so yeah it's it's not like there was no chance they had to to uh uh to make that play but anyway strange that he would be on the field and you don't really have a better option because justice hills hurt and and dobbins as you say you know had had taken a fairly significant workload in terms of his ramp up I want to mention one more thing about um scoring a touchdown when it come back to the timing of the of the return touchdown to tie the game, we've got another analog in Ravens history, very similar situation, which demonstrates the redraw value of being up seven. So if you're up seven, the other team then has to score a touchdown to tie, presumably. Then what happens? The Ravens get the ball again if there's any time left on the clock. It is hard to match up time with a touchdown drive. Teams are, are loath to do it. They want to score as quickly as possible and, and take the risk of giving up a field goal. But if you think back to the Lamar bathroom game, Lamar came back in through a fourth and five touchdown to put the Ravens up seven. Actually, with the extra the two-point conversion put them up seven. And then the, the Browns scored, and they scored just a little too fast. And the Ravens then had time to drive down the field about 50 seconds or so, I think it was, maybe a little bit less even. Get in a field goal range where Tucker kicked a 55-yarder to win. Then we had the safety on the very last play of the game to, to screw up all the betting lines. I'm sure you, that might have <laughs> probably not did not impact you, but but you never know. Um, so we've got analogs for both of these situations. It's not like they're, they're rare situations that come up that, that there aren't reasons for it. And I honestly feel pretty good about Harbaugh's Harbaugh's decision making in this in this game. Yeah, I would have made the same call. I, I thought it was I thought that was at the down and distance that I was at was a, a pretty easy decision for them to make. And, you know, um we'll 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 never we'll never know, but there were certainly a couple moments on the defensive side of the ball once the Bills got the ball back that were, you know, uh, the OA tackle that I referenced earlier that took away any opportunity for the Ravens to at least have a chance. 
Um, mm-hmm. And the other was the ridiculous roughing the passer penalty yep. um, call that came in in the game. And you can't, you know, obviously, look, you can't, you can't blame these kind of things on the refs. But I, I just got to say, and I'm, I was tweeting this during the game, this was one of the poorest and imbalanced officiated games, I think, that I have ever watched. And I think that the Ravens have gotten the crap end of the ref, like, take a lot. Um, and obviously, any fan is going to tell you that their their team yep. has, unless, unless they move <laughs> to Tom Brady, in which case they never have, and they don't know what that experience is like. But I, the only other game that I felt more, equally as frustrated was the Tom Brady two-touchdown league game with Flacco when the Patriots were abusing the um, eligible and ineligible receiver rules. And they were quick snapping and they were marking both. They were marking the same guys as eligible and ineligible at the same time. The Ravens couldn't decipher it. The refs wouldn't slow the game down and they didn't know who to cover. Um, And, and that was probably the other game that I was as close to as frustrated as this one. That was very frustrating. That was in the 2014 um, AFC divisional game. I guess it was. Yeah. They won. They won their first game. I try to remember who they beat, but anyway, the AFC divisional game at new England and and that game, the problem was that um, the reporting eligible has to occur every single play. And so even if you kept the same 11 on the field, you're really changing personnel. And I think the NFL has since changed that rule. And they've changed the reporting rules such that it can allow for defensive substitution. I'm not 100% sure, but there was something. And and they they tried to get that through. If anyone knows, by the way, in the comment what's been done, toss it out there and I'll, I'll, I'll flip it up. I thought the rule change was that so and maybe I'm misremembering this, but the Patriots were essentially the designation at that time for ineligible and eligible was the same. And so they were having both the players that were eligible and ineligible make the signal and then they would snap the like. So then there wasn't a substitution and then they would snap the ball. I believe the NFL also changed the rule that they only only the becoming eligible receiver had to designate themselves in in that moment as well. So it took away that extra level of confusion because two players were essentially doing the same thing, but one to mark eligible and one to mark ineligible. Right. Okay. Uh... <laughs> if I'm if I'm recalling it correctly, it was it was a while ago, and I know the rule definitely changed after that season. I know Harbaugh took an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in that game yes, for complaining about it during the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he said he let he let the let it get down close where the intentional uh, the intentional penalty wasn't going to be as costly. But then he called the refs over and he chewed them out, and it was one of these things that uh, you know it 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 uh, I Belichick is a master of understanding the nature of the rules, and what I guarantee you happened is officials meet pregame with each team to hear if there are any kind of special plays they want to run that they should be looking out for, and blah blah blah. So so you you inform the uh the officials of what's going on ahead of time and then they had they were in the know beforehand on this i guarantee it he he didn't you know flip this on them at 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 the time and they agreed then with that interpretation of the rules which meant uh you know it wasn't going to be changed in game by by anything harbaugh said or did unfortunately so uh the ravens needed to to find a way to adapt to it with the personnel they had um at that point anyway frustrating game in, in new england certainly for a lot of reasons that uh uh, that one blowing two 14-point leads. Uh, let's see. Want to talk about the roughing the passer call otherwise, though? Because uh, I, I thought there are a few things about it. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm normally strong on tight roughing the passer um, flags. I don't like a lot of them. I think they 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 hurt the game in general. I definitely think they hurt the Ravens over the over the last few years. Harbaugh always talks about getting his players to understand how they'll call it. 
Uh, other teams like the Patriots in, in, in particular do a much better job both on offense and on defense of understanding how to get the flags called and um, uh, how to avoid them. And then the other, the other thing is Allen calling from the, calling from the field from the ground really brings back the, the, the importance of having a um, diving flag. So soccer has them. Of course, you get cards for diving at, 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 at times. And uh, what else has it? The NBA, I think, has embellishment. Uh, but the NHL definitely has embellishment and that you can get a two minute minor for that. So, you know, why doesn't, sorry, NHL, yeah, the NFL needs to have something that penalizes a quarterback for begging for a flag that didn't occur. The NFL could clean. I'm just going to, I'm going to get up on a soapbox here for a second. <laughs> so give me 45 seconds here. The NFL sure. could clean this up in a minute by every time an offensive or defensive player turns to a ref and asks for a flag, they take a penalty. They do that for two weeks and all of it will stop. And there, there is, I think, no place in the game in particular for players to be lobbying during games for flags when the refs are watching what's happening on mm -hmm. the field. Now, it's one thing to go to a ref and say, hey, you missed a call. Hey, I think these are the kind of things that are happening. But we saw the, the most egregious one that I've seen this year was Mac Jones diving to the ground in the game last week when he got pushed. He knew that the Ravens player was touching him and he literally flopped his way onto the ground. Like, like those kind of plays have no place in, in in football in particular. And the NFL could clean these up easily and has no interest in it because they want to see offense, offensive football continue to be the driving factor. And so they're going to let Brady and Allen and all these guys beg for flags. And for whatever reason, Lamar Jackson never does it. He, he It is not part of his personality. It is not part of his game. Um, and it's unfortunate only in the sense that it doesn't – it doesn't advantage the Ravens for the number of hits and the number of times he's exposed. He could probably benefit benefit from it a lot more. Right. I, I think he actually takes less sacks in the pocket than than most of the other statues in the league. And they, that's one of the things about them is they 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 tend to get hit more in the pocket for hard hits. Jackson takes more where he's trying to convert a a pass into a scramble that ends up being behind the line of scrimmage that ends up being a sack. And uh, you know a lot of those are effectively like run tackles. He's extremely good at taking a hit there. Uh, I'm. I'm I'm bothered by the thing on this basis, though. Boger was interviewed after the game and said, "What I what I had was forcible contact in the head neck area of the quarterback with the helmet." Asked if he was confident about the head neck contact, Boger replied, "Yes." Now give Bogart Bogart uh, Bogart Boger credit on one point here is that it appears he didn't watch the the replay because I don't think he'd still be making that claim if he'd watched the replay before he he was interviewed so here here's I guess the point I want to hear the officials call out the reason and be more specific about it who is who's the official African-American was outstanding at detailing what was going on in the play and I don't I think he's now in some Gene Steratore type role somewhere uh, but he was, he was just outstanding. He, he detailed the play. Very smart guy, obviously. And and uh, I want that from Jerome Boger. I want him to say, uh, look, forcible contact to the head neck area. That's rough in the passer number, whoever it was, defense, 21 defense. Um, I, I, I want to hear that from him so he can't reframe what the reason was after seeing it sometime later. And that could be on the video board. It could be at halftime. It could be at the end of the game before he meets with pool reporters. That didn't happen with Boger in this case. I'm glad it didn't. And and his credibility is higher with me for, for that reason. He stayed with his wrong original call. And okay. look, I, I think he deserved, like, 
I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that I'm willing to go as far as this because I do think that there was, if, if there was ever a game that you told me that the NFL was like shaving and trying to keep this game tight, this game <laughs> had all the feels of it. It had all the feels of it in terms of how the calls were going um, and how they called the game. Um, and, and it's the one place that, you know, I, I don't think that there's been a scandal in the NFL in that regard, but it felt like when the game was getting away that the refs were just not going to let that happen. Um, and so I, I don't, I'm not saying that that was what was happening. I'm just saying that it felt that way. Um, and in Bogor's defense, where I was going originally with this is that, look, sometimes, sometimes you think you see something that didn't happen. Right? right. And I'm glad that he, you know, he was like, yes, I, I, I definitively think that's what I saw. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, and this is not like the, you know, it, it's not like one of the, like a libel suit where just because you believe something is to be true, you know, there, there's, we just want to know what he think he saw. If that's what he thought he saw, he was definitely wrong. He should definitely be docked by the NFL and his evaluations for that. But where's that? There's no accountability on the other side of that either from what we see as fans. Um, there will be no public admonishment by the NFL for this call. And there will be no admonishment of Dawson on the pick play in the end zone for the touchdown at the end of the first half. That right. was as blatant of a offensive pass interference that I've ever, if that is not offensive pass interference and what Mark Andrews did can't, is, can't get Mark Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Like, and those, that's what I mean when I say it just felt like they were selectively picking the moments where they wanted to call things because they wanted, because they think they're supposed to be, it's entertainment. Right. And they're under a lot of pressure to make sure that these things stay entertaining. The games are still close in the fourth quarter. And I'm not saying that they intentionally were doing it. Um, but there there's, this one was, this one felt worse than a lot of bad calls and a lot of bad, bad games that I feel like I've watched. Truly, truly an awful, uh, awful call. There were, there were two things about the play, by the way, that I thought you could have made the flag for. By the way, Mike Carey is the correct official. That's the one I was thinking of who uh, mm. uh, who did just fantastic explanations of each penalty, of how they were moving the ball, of what's happening with the clock, all, all that kind of stuff. But he was terrific. Um, yeah, two reasons why I thought it could have been called. And one was, if you look at it, I think he stopped and then took two steps forward again to the quarterback after the ball was released. They were small steps because he was very close. But it was two small steps, and then he hit him, and he took him to the ground. The other would have been a forcible driving into the ground. Now, that was put into roughing the passer originally, I think, so that you can protect quarterbacks from Siragusa slash Gannon moments where, you know, a very large man, you know, and, and obviously all defensive linemen are substantially larger than quarterbacks, uh, falls on a quarterback and and rolls over him and gives him all the love of his 300 and plus pounds. Uh, that uh, That's certainly not what the NFL wants, and they don't want games played by backup quarterbacks from that perspective. It's not, they're not trying to get Brandon Stevens for that kind of a hit. And, you know, it the thing would have been, if you called it at all, late was the way to go. Um, but I didn't, I, I honestly, I think, Boger's explanation of it is is wrong, and that probably means he wouldn't have called it for late without a very tight standard in the last couple of minutes. I realize there's a lot going on now too. The 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 Tua situation is so awful, uh, so mishandled uh, inside and outside the NFL that I have a hard time, uh, you know, really blaming for Boger what happened or really blaming for officials to be uh, careful about this, but. I, you know, if if you want to allow officials to throw the flag, allow them to throw the flag, then have it be reviewable and have the review also be able to reverse the flag and then get the quarterback for bullshit. Yeah, I, I, it, or 
like cut the flags loose, right? So even if you remember back to the play where Lamar throws the ball to Andrews, who tipped it to DuVernay, probably the most fun play that we're going to see of the entire season. Um, Lamar took a late hit on that one where he got pushed back two steps by Miller. And then whoever the other defender was there, like tosses him to the ground, basically in the same way that, that Allen was tossed to the ground by Stevens. It's like, it's just, I'm fine if you're going to call it, but you've got to call it every single time. You've got to mm-hmm. like you've got to use it as essentially a stick to stop defenders from coming in. You know when they're a step away, if they think they're going to throw it, if that's what the league wants, if if the league wants to know that defenders are going to have to pull up if they think the quarterback's going to throw the ball, that's fine, right? Like if that's those are the rules, those are the rules. The selective application of this, and this has always been the problem with the NFL that they have some of these rules that are just so blindingly subjective. Um, and they allow them to continue to be blindingly subjective. And it makes it very, as a fan, it just makes it exceptionally frustrating overall about what are they going to do? How are they going to call this? When, you know, what is right? What isn't right? Like what, you know, all of those kind of things. And so I, I don't know how the NFL ultimately, you know, can clean them up. They also need to fix the delay of game problem while we're at it, chirping about, you know, sometimes some of the delay of games that we've seen, and even the delay of games I thought in this game weren't, haven't been delay of games in other games. And some of them are. And it's just like, there's got to be a better way than the rep looking up and then looking down and whether the ball is there or whether the ball is not there at their discretion. It, it's just, it, it's not functional. And, and it's, I don't know. It, it annoys me. <laughs> yeah. I guess we have to move on from this, but uh, uh, you know, we, we, it, there's certainly, we're going to have a pod later in the week where you talk about this, this play in more detail about possible solutions as you go forward. Uh, I don't want to take too much away from that, but I, I'll do about 30 minutes on it with, uh, uh, with another uh, guy I've talked to today about doing it. Uh, let's uh, move on and talk about, let's see, what do we want to talk about next? How about the inability to contain Josh Allen in this game? Because that, that was a continual and recurring problem is that the the Ravens would rush four or sometimes five uh the pocket would lose containment and they did some things to to try and uh keep rush lanes we'll get into this on the pass rush to keep the rush lanes um ordered controlled uh Jackson still got away and uh, he got away during this game on scrambles for RM8 RM9 RM20 RM4 that's actually picking up a fumble uh and then leaving the pocket but none of these were designed runs RL4 to convert fourth and one, which just hurt like hell because it looked like he was dead to rights in the backfield um, uh, on two different points there. RL11 for the touchdown. That was a really bad backside contain and uh, an RR7. So, uh, you know, got multiple times here where he gets free of the pocket. At some point, you got to consider a spy. Yeah, you know, this one's tough because I thought the Ravens pass defense and the general scheme overall in this game was pretty good. Um, I thought McDonald found the right mix of blitzes, um, the right times to implement them, um, when to come with extra rushers and when not. And I think that part of the concession, and I think this is what has to happen against teams like that are as good as the Bills, is that you're going to be willing to give something up, right? Um, and so there was a moment where it felt like, at least in the first half, that the Bills were just going to try and stop the running back. They thought the Ravens were going to be willing to let Lamar run. Lamar kind of cut them a few times. They made an adjustment, right? So, so maybe the Ravens do need to make an adjustment. I think that the counter is what happened in the Miami game. You know, you can't let Stefan Diggs get loose. You can't let Gabe Davis get loose. You can't get beat over the top and you got to make them work for it. And they're going to be opportunities to make Allen fumble the ball and you're, you're going to make him grind and you're going to make him, you know, put his body on the line to convert those. And so you're going to take those chances. I, I don't hate that strategy overall. 
and point wise overall, it wasn't a huge loss for the Ravens. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. But anyway, uh, I, I think I would simplify that a little bit, simplify the question for you a little bit instead of just why shouldn't they have a spy? It's how much do you think the Ravens pass defense would lose from having either Patrick Queen or Josh Bynes up close to the line of scrimmage as a spy? I don't think either of them were going to be able to stop Allen as a spy. I, the, the, like when OA couldn't stop him off the edge coming free, um, and he's one of their better tacklers. Patrick Queen was miserable from a tackling perspective and angles in this game and as he's been in many others. And Josh Bynes looked like he's completely lost a step. I mean, there there were play one of the one of the scrambles was on I there were three deep routes. There were two under linebackers and Allen just you know, and they both had a crack at him. And Alan, that was the long run where it was like, I think Josh maybe 18. Yeah. yeah. And so I just, I don't know that, I don't know that you're going to get a ton of value there as a pickup by giving Allen a better throwing lane. Um, but the weather, I, I mean, it's impossible to say. Uh, maybe, maybe you do need to throw it in there from time to time, or at least make it look like it's going to be a spy to start the play and make an adjustment. Um, you know, the Ravens, the Ravens seem loath to make quick adjustments to game plans in games this year. Um, and I, and I find it completely maddening. <laughs> yeah. He, they had a way as a spy at least once, maybe twice during this game, they dropped him off to coverage. Um, I've got a discrepancy between PFF on number of coverage snaps and the difference might be spying. So it's, it, it could be something like that, that is, that is, uh, that is in there. Uh, but anyway, I, I'll, uh, uh, I, I think they need to try something. And if the point is that, neither Bynes nor Queen is fast enough or a good enough tackler to take on Josh Allen. It's 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 going to be worse coming forward a lot of the time, coming downhill from 15 yards off ball. And that happened on one of the plays. I think Allen got nine or 10 yards on it. And and uh, Queen was coming downhill. He did make the tackle in this case, but it's still, it's, it, you know, it's you, the damage is done if if Queen is that deep. I think the next question has to be, when are we going to get our, our safeties into the game on passing downs to replace both inside linebackers? To do it with one pretty consistently. But Geno Stone is withering on the bench, and he is far too good to be you know, not playing at all here. In fact, you know, there are people who would say he should be playing ahead of Hamilton in some of these cases. But, but honestly, you know, from a developmental perspective, obviously we want Hamilton to, to, to have a great career and, and getting him to off to a good start is very important. But I, I, I do think there's still room for a Stone or a Tony Jefferson, you know, earlier this year I would have thought, to be effectively a third-down linebacker and, yeah. and come in there and, and be a spy. I mean, Tony Jefferson would be perfect in, the, in this specific role. I mean, why wait for third down, Ken? <laughs> yeah, well, good, good question. It, it, it's 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 not been pretty from inside linebacker this year. I, you know, I and I was, 
I, I was the one who was upset the year after they had brought Bynes back and let him walk away. I thought he he needed to be brought back. He I think they were worried he was going to lose a step. I think he's officially lost that step. Um, I think Ross, when he comes back from whatever injury he's got, needs to get a serious look. I, if I was the Ravens, you know, you've got these, you know, I know you've got a couple guys that are coming back from injuries. They had brought Blake Martinez in. I, they, they have got to look for a solution, an inside linebacker, because it's not getting it done and playing Patrick Queen as much as it is, unless they change his role and yeah. they need to narrow, like, you know, they need to narrow his role. And if they can't narrow his role, then they need to get him off the field. Um, well, I, I, it's I mean, as simple as that. It's, it's not a matter of, of just narrowing. It's, it's when to get him off the field. And the problem is there isn't any one particular time that Patrick Queen is exceptionally valuable on the field. He had three quarterback hits in this game. So he did some things as a pass rusher. But he can't be just a pass rusher. That that's that doesn't work. So he's he if if he can be a pass rusher slash spy for a mobile quarterback, maybe you can keep him on the on the field on some second and long, maybe third and long situations. But he's he's really hurting the team being on there. The lack of recognition is unbelievable uh, still in terms of coverage. So I I, I want to see something better. I think. You know, we're two years and four games into Patrick Queen's career, and I was really hopeful this would be the turnaround a year so far. It has not been so far, um, and and the the clock, the sands are running low in the hourglass in terms of him having a meaningful career at the Ravens. He's got to really turn it around this year, earn that fifth year extension, and then he'll be here at least two more years, which would, which would be nice if he could really get value, uh, you know, over that period. Um, I think the other side of that is the Ravens got to look at this from a practical standpoint and say, do we really even now? want to dump money into a fifth year extension on queen and, and take the risk there? Or do we need to just figure out at this exact point in time, when can he help us most and where can he help us most on the field and just bring him in on, in specific situations? You've already paid the money. I mean, it, seriously, if, if you really just need, if he's a situational pass rush guy that you want to bring in for 15 snaps a game, I got no problem with that. I really don't. If, 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 if you think he's a guy who can still help you on first and second down, terrific. To redefine his role into that narrower component, get him trained on that specific role, layering responsibilities. You need to de-layer in terms of Patrick Queen. Just make him responsible for simple things. And uh, and hopefully he can he can pick the things he's good at, pick some things he's good at, um, do those well, and then uh, uh, not uh, you know be the burden he has been to date on uh, on passing downs. The nice part is that, and you know, Gabe and I have been talking about. Well, we've been talking a lot about Patrick Queen, but talking a lot about how the evolution of this Ravens team and this year is a little bit inverted to as what we've seen in past years, where there are guys lined up to come back or guys lined up to evolve and grow and become better players. And I think that I think that Hamilton is one of those guys where we saw what he get like if he's not caught up, what he can't do. Um, and obviously, they scaled him back in a hurry. Um, Hamilton's mm-hmm. role has been significantly scaled back. Can can he be a guy whose role then ultimately gets ramped up? And how does that affect Chuck Clark when Ross comes back? Is he a guy that's going to be able to take on more? There are opportunities where this could still look very different in weeks 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 than it does in weeks one, two, three, four, and five. For a lot of reasons, this won't play out the way it did in 2019, but it was at this exact moment with yep. two and two after an incredibly couple of disappointing defensive games. In fact, four really de- disappointing defensive weeks to start the season that the Ravens completely rebuilt their defense on the fly. And it started at that inside linebacker position with LJ Fort, who's been mentioned here by some of the people here, and the acquisition of Josh Bynes that time around, the second tour of duty. Uh, and those two 
immediately had an enormous impact in replacing Owasso and uh, eventually Kenny Young, who was traded a little bit later in that season for Marcus Peters. And then also they got two nose tackles. So that defense was rebuilt on the fly. Unfortunately, this Ravens team can't do that due to the current salary cap considerations. They have no money to move around even, let alone what the current cap is, because they probably have two, three million dollars in cap currently. But uh, somebody can fact check that, by the way. I'm really appreciating how quickly you guys fact check me on this. Is this I'm going to rely on you a little bit. Somebody go out to OTC and find out how much how much cap the Ravens currently have. But the real problem isn't the current cap. It's the it's the amount of cap flexibility they have in turning, um, uh, you know, making extensions even, but but definitely in terms of of uh, pro or, sorry forcing pushing bonus f- forward um, in in years. So they don't they just don't have any flexibility to go out there and get even like three or four say uh, vet men contracts that they think could really help them at this point. But the, the alternate is that Justin Houston will come back and play at some point. Mm-hmm. Tyus Bowser is on his way back. OA hopefully then will have more snaps where he's not doesn't have to be the spy guy or they can keep these guys a little bit better rested. Jason, Jason Pierre-Paul played fantastic for a first for coming off of and and there were a few moments where it seemed like he didn't completely know what was going on and he needs to get caught up. I think he was he was the 12th guy on the field on the 12 man on the field penalty. So um for a team that hasn't been penalized a ton so far this year i think that i'd be willing to cut like him a little bit of slack on that play he played a ton in this game and i thought he played quite well for a guy that hasn't you know that's coming off some injuries and hasn't played at all this year i'm i'm gonna try and avoid the the um conditional statement there if you if unless you're trying to say i think he is in a good spot for ramping up to where he can be i could agree with that I, I didn't think he had a particularly strong game. It was it was okay, but one and a half pressures and I think it was thirty five pass rush snaps doesn't do it for me. So uh, I, I, from from that perspective, I, I couldn't I couldn't really say he had a great game. I'm not really big on the on the twelve man penalty because I also think that might have been Hamilton on that play. There were two players it could have been on, um, but uh, Pierre Paul came off the field, then he went back on the field again before that next play was run. So uh, I'm I'm not hundred percent sure who was at at fault there, and I intentionally didn't write on it. Uh, write about it in my article because of exactly that fact. But it was either him or Hamilton appeared to be the guy who uh, who had it wrong. Um, oh, and Ajabo. Sorry. I, and Ajabo is another guy that could come in and contribute. So there are, I, I mean, and, you know, we talked about Stone getting a bigger role, Ross coming off the IR, Hamilton, you know, growing and developing. So there are some in-house opportunities that didn't mm-hmm. exist in 2019 on this team. Um, whether those uh, manifest themselves to be actually productive remains to be seen. Yeah, real good point. So an offense at Stanley, it's it's getting back Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards apparently is going to start practicing pretty soon here. Uh Stanley might be back next week or two. I was hoping, I was hoping for this game, but you know, the next week or two is it might be realistic given, you know, what we're hearing. Um and then with the uh um I, I you know, one of the things that really bothers me about the Stanley situation is Harbaugh's non-committal language. You know, this thing, he, he kind of had his trail off voice going on, but he said, and Ronnie will continue his progression. Okay. I think like this, it's like, I, you know, I, 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 I don't want to read in exactly what Harbaugh is feeling about that, but it's not a cheerleader kind of injury comment. Well, like we typically get from John and, and that, that's, that worries me in this particular case. Now he's, he's probably, you know, touched the stove a few too many times with Ronnie Stanley to figure out, you know, what's going on or to try and project that he'll be back sooner 
um, th than he really is. But yeah, I, I don't like the, the the way it was done. Charlie Kolar apparently is not ready to practice yet. And I thought he would be lost for the bulk of the season, giving the, the sports earning a surgery he has. I know you, you always get aggressive, you know, eight week estimates and whatnot, but he's probably, you know, much further away from that would be my guess. Gus Edwards, we don't know if he's going to be really ready in three weeks, but I believe there is a limitation on Pup that he can't practice for more than that before being activated to 53. So the Ravens may have a spot for a walking wounded, or they may not at that point. And it'll be interesting to see how they handle um, Edwards. Well, I mean, it certainly feels like they've got a spot for walking wounded, given Mike Davis took, you know, as you indicated, <laughs> two snaps, Nick Boyle, active and not playing snaps on offense so you know, at least for right now you know there, there's there's space for these guys to come back and there to be opportunities on both sides of the ball all right we have our answer here thanks matthew uh lots of great stuff out there from him already in this in this short pod but uh jpp after jpp is still 3.3 million on the on the cap you know when you when you think about how that's spent that's really only about three and a half vet min contracts that you're talking about. You can get guys who were earlier in terms of year service and you can start scouring the R's and the ones to, to get players who, uh, you know, are, are cheaper than that, but that's just not a lot of cap space. And the, and the guys the Ravens are going to want are guys that can help them immediately. So it, it might be a special teams player. It might be an inside linebacker who's, who's willing to play for vet minimum. Obviously with JPP, they got a guy who they deferred a bunch of cost into next year and they can't do that every time either they can't have a bunch of nltbe bonuses that really don't make sense well well if he's not racking up the sacks then they'll be okay on the NLTBE <laughs> for beer ball all right so uh let's see let's, let's get moving down here we're, we're taking a long time appreciating this because i'm really enjoying all these comments from you folks this live show really makes a big difference for us uh, let's, let's go ahead and talk packages, uh, since we're, I think we're, we're, we're basically through with a lot of this other stuff that, uh, that I wanted to make sure we hit on. Um, oh, I got one more thing. The weather, huge role in this game on both sides. I, I you know, Lamar had a hard time getting off good passes on, on the offensive side, but let's not forget the, the bills also who, who generally, I think benefit from poor weather. They certainly play in it a lot in Buffalo. A uh, high wind, and Allen is a, is you know thought to be a fairly wind resistant quarterback the way Joe Flacco was. Um, but in terms of the drops for Buffalo, they, they had you know six drops as I counted on it, where the ball went right through the hands of the receiver, uh, and and that's an incredible number for uh, you know however many passes uh, Allen threw in this game. So and half it, of them were to running backs and weren't weren't terribly challenging throws to catch. So I mean, it speaks to how wet the ball must have been. Um, and and how hard it was to catch the ball. And it, it certainly looked like it was affecting Lamar. It certainly was affecting the Ravens receivers, particularly Rashad Bateman. Yeah, that's a good point. 30, 36 total uh, passes thrown there by Allen in the game. That's a low uh, number for him. <laughs> yeah, it is a low number for him. So so having one-sixth of your, your passes dropped is going to lower your completion percentage somewhat. And you're right, a bunch of, bunch of little swing passes to running backs that that uh, that didn't get caught. And, and most notably... You know that huge mess up, mess up at the goal line uh, with Hamilton mm -hmm. uh, on on the play to Diggs. Diggs wide open for the touchdown. They did end up scoring anyway, but um, it's it, it, I, I, let's speak about that for just a minute. I, obviously, Hamilton messing up again is not a good thing. I do feel good about the way the leadership in the secondary is. Now that may seem like a funny comment to make up the Baltimore Ravens this right now, but they've got some good players in the secondary who know what they're doing. And Peters, Humphrey, 
and Marcus Williams are all leaders. Marcus Williams probably did the best job leading on that play, came in low five, talked to him. So obviously discussion going on. It's not animated. It's not um, you know where uh, Marcus Peters is going to cock his head or Humphrey might do the same in terms of a heavy emotional kind of response to a very bad play. Um, but it maintained the accountability and, and tried to keep him informed. Hopefully Hamilton is a guy who Williams can take under his wing and really you know, tell him what he knows about having to read keys in the NFL uh, at free safety or, or just on the back end in general. Um, you know, they have Chuck Clark. Chuck Clark's a fine leader in terms of relaying the call and whatnot. This, this, this team is well set for leaders in the secondary to not break down. They've got one rookie, uh, you know, plus maybe another slot corner who doesn't always know where he's supposed to be on a play. And and that has caused some problems. I, I, won't, I won't even pick on the slot corner. I think plus the inside linebackers who have trouble, you know, making a an impact on plays between level two and three. What's you know, there was a comment that I heard during the Rams Buffalo game to start the year, and they were whoever their sideline reporter had done an interview with um McDermott and Ed Frazier from Buffalo's defense. And they talked mm-hmm. apparently he was talking about how the defense is very good at understanding what structurally a play call is supposed to do, where the weaknesses are in that play call, and leaning towards the weaknesses of that play. So knowing that they have strengths in other areas, knowing that if the uh, like Matt Stafford sees X, that he's probably going to be trying to attack Y and that making sure that they bend a little bit more towards kind of whatever that factor is. And it just feels like that's the missing ingredient right now for the Ravens. Cause the Ravens have a very, uh, the Ravens have a very stars and scrubs action going on in what's happening with defense. Marcus Williams, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Justin Matabike have played and Clayus Campbell probably Better, but not great. But those four guys have that I named before that have played exceptional this season. Um, and you would think when you have four guys on defense that are playing at that high of a level, and obviously Peters missed the first game um, and was kind of getting wound up as he first two games and wound up as he kind of got back in. But when that's the, you know, when that's the baseline, you should be able to protect you should be able to protect guys like Patrick Queen and Josh Bynes. You should be able to know that they're going to be doing these things and that they're able to kind of lean and adjust and make those things happen. I don't think that there's anything unique about McDermott and Frazier and what Buffalo is trying to do in that sense. And that those things in the same way that you think that they can get cleaned up. I agree that the Ravens can figure out where their strengths are, what they don't need to help and protect on and where they can narrow that down and, and start to play a little bit more collectively as a defense. What do you think about this comment from Jimmy Dean? This is a good one. The good thing about Hamilton is he has the right mental makeup, in my opinion, to make the correction without being hurt. I, I'm going to say something first, and I, I really want to hear what you have to say about this. Is We project a lot onto Kyle Hamilton as a first-round draft pick in terms of uh, you know the reputation he had. The instincts were terrific, and, and I think we've seen them in the preseason. I think we've seen instincts live at the NFL level. Um, what, I, what I have a problem with is projecting intelligence onto a player even if he speaks well, even if he does, it's not exactly the same as having, you know, a high football IQ. And he's been, you know, he's just been out of position several times in a way that's telling me he just has not picked up the playbook and it might be complicated, but you know, the, 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 the pass, the touchdown pass to Hill in week two was a bad example of him really being out of, out of position on the 60 yarder down the left sideline. Um, the fact that Marcus Williams shows up at the, at the last Sorry, he showed up next to Marcus Williams by the line of scrimmage. I'm pretty sure Marcus Williams was where he was supposed to be. And then Marcus Williams bailed out directly and diagonally towards 
uh, Hamilton's responsibility. It's a nice thing for the defense to have a player like that who can fill the hole, but it's really not good. You can One player can severely disadvantage your defense if they're not in the right position at safety. Yeah, you know, my response to your comment is that most of the time when we hire people, we hire the people that are good at interviews and not mm-hmm. the things that we're trying to hire them to do. And I think that, you know, I, it does seem like Hamilton has the right mentality and is willing to push through some of this. But um, I don't know. I'm a little worried about Kyle Hamilton. Um, I would expect him to be a little bit more caught up by now. I would expect the athleticism that we've heard all about to pop a little bit more on tape from time to time. We've seen it a couple times. But even in the preseason, um, there were moments where he was in the area. He was getting to the area, but he wasn't quite, you know, the, the guy that's going to separate and become the star is the guy that's already in the area. And, and you know, they're doing that even as a rookie. Um, and so I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and I want to give him some time to adjust. Um, but I think that he probably can't be labeled as a top five draft pick quality player right now in terms of what you should expect from him at any point <laughs> in this year. I think that's entirely fair. Obviously, we have enough evidence, I think, in very limited games. He has not won a starting role. He hasn't forced his way into the lineup in that regard. Uh, it is good that they're getting him playing time. But, you know, he's Tyler Linderbaum has had a bigger impact, obviously, on the Baltimore Ravens than he has. And uh, well, not so great in this game either, though. <laughs> Linderbaum well, struggled in this game. I, 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 you know, I haven't done the offensive line scoring yet. I'm going to do that right after we get off the air here with my wife. And I hate making comments about it beforehand because it just gives you a chance to be whipsawed. But he did have the three penalties. It's very hard to recover from that. I'll just say that in terms of uh, of what his score might be for this week. I, I, we're getting obviously a great comment here from Chris, but he's telling me go out of the package comments and let's so let's talk about that. Uh, the Ravens used uh, the base defense three times in this game, and they gave up only 14 yards on it which doesn't seem bad, except it was a converted fourth and one. So the Bills put in a six-man offensive line. The Ravens reacted to it with a, with a basic 3-4 look and, and two inside linebackers, two outside linebackers. Harrison was one of them. Um, obviously, it doesn't give you probably their best chance to, to, to stop the run in that case. Um, but they, they converted that, and then they, they had a – I think they had a – yeah, the last two plays that they ran in Angor, in Anger – were an eight-yard run and then a by Singletary where he flopped to the ground. Then away couldn't away tackled him. And then they had the two-yard run by Allen where they they weren't going to drag Allen into the end zone either. So they were all pretty substantial losses for the defense, all three of those plays. Even though it was only 14 yards, uh, don't be fooled. They really didn't didn't get the job done in base defense. Yeah, I I don't need to see the Ravens play much in base defense with <laughs> for much of the rest of the year. I think they, I think they should get creative in terms of those packages. I, I don't think that that's their optimal lineup of, of players for this defense. It, it, one of the things is that your opponent chooses it for you a lot. So if the opponent, if the opponent's playing 22, you pretty much have to be in base. If they're playing 21 or 12, if they play 21, you're probably in base. If they play 12, you might be in big nickel say where right. Hamilton, you know, is it, is a good option. So they, I think they'll get some, get creative once Hamilton proves he can really play and, and contribute to the defense. But well, that could be Geno Stone too. I mean, let's not discount the fact that you can move Clark into the box and you still got another safety. So, you know, Hamilton's, as you mentioned earlier, development is great, but you've still got a player that I think a lot of us trust as kind of like the deep free safety guy. So even if you want to move Marcus Williams up, um, you know, there's another guy on the roster. It's not just Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, good good point. So, I mean, you, you'd end up with Clark and Stone in the box if you want to go with a four safety look and really maximize your your uh, your coverage in those short zone areas and uh, what I, I I would you know I'm on board with that. I believe in platoon inside linebacker play very thoroughly. 
Um, I put a, put out a tweet this week about all the positions I think could be uh, first round picks for the Ravens in 2023. And it's a scary number again. I mean, the Ravens aren't going into it saying we need a left tackle, which has its own challenges, of course, because you don't know if you're going to get a left tackle at the spot you're at. But, you know, left tackle, cornerback, edge, uh, inside linebacker. Uh, there's a fifth one, but those are, those are the ones I can remember right now is are all wide receiver, all necessary positions for the Ravens to improve at. Uh, the defensive line, they're kind of old still. They still need to get younger there, but you, they're probably going to have to address that position in later rounds. Um, it's it's just it's really scary that they have so many positions of need a year. You know, after a couple of years, frankly, of pretty good drafts. The 18, 18 draft, they only have the 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 two players remaining, only Andrews and and um, uh, and Jackson re- remain from that. But they also have a lot of value from that draft that has since been harvested. So they have the, the you know, the, I think Matabike might've been the pick they got. No, it wasn't. That's not right. Who was the pick they got in exchange? The Hearst pick, I think ended up being number 55. It's Dobbins, right? Dobbins. Dobbins. Oh yeah, yeah. Dobbins. So Dobbins is essentially an 18 draftee, if you want to call that. And so they have, they have other, uh, other players that they've, uh, that they've gained with the draft capital they've harvested away. Um, Yes, it was in exchange for Brown. So it's not like they have nothing left from that draft, but they, but they, you know, had to unpack a lot of it. Peters is on the team because of the trade of Kenny Young. Uh, so they've got guys, but uh, uh, it's it's sad that Zach Sealer and others got away from that from that great draft. And there's a natural, I don't know if it's a natural cyclical nature of the draft. Maybe it is because of your position in the standings, but it you can't be right every single time. And um, they, they essentially the same management has been making these draft picks since the very beginning. And I'm not talking about who who has the final decision on pulling the trigger between the DaCosta and and Ozzy Eras, because I don't really think it's that different. Occasionally, there might be a player, probably in a later round, where it's not more or less a consensus call. But I think most of the early round decisions, Ozzy's still right there next to DaCosta in the draft room. And, and DaCosta was next to Ozzy in the draft room for all the years before. I, you know, It's one of the things about the Ravens, that you can really point to and say they've always had a consistent kind of a draft approach and, and a, and a way of um, uh, reaching consensus on players. Yeah, definitely. And they, they have, when you, when you swing and miss on guys like Patrick Queen though, that's, that's where it ends up hurting. And I think the Ravens have made up a lot of their draft capital kind of inequities because they, with those later picks, they're a little bit safer that you're not taking a guy that's going to be a complete nothing burger. And when Patrick Queen is that first round pick and and he is, you know, for whatever you wanted to think about CJ Mosley, right? Like some people loved him. Some people did not love him, um, mm-hmm. but he provided value for where his draft pick. Oh was, right? yeah. Um, you know, we're just, you're getting the complete opposite of that with guys like Patrick Queen and the, the suck of what that creates on the rest of the defense and the holes that that creates kind of across the board is part of the problem. Well, it's it's people don't I think often get just how big a percentage of your total draft capital your first round pick typically is. I mean, if 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 you don't have your two, it can be like 60, 60 percent or more of your draft capital. It's probably it depends on where you're drafting the first round, obviously, but it, it can be 50 percent of your capital. It can be a lot more if you're drafting number one overall. Um, and and it's it's just a um, you know, it's a, it's a huge it's it's like you you have the a, a couple of one dollar chips and a couple of five dollar chips and one twenty five dollar chip and one one hundred dollar chip and those are the wagers you get to make and you can't you, you know get change in this in this particular metaphor <laughs> so you you have to bet the whole thing and let me continue on here because I want to I want to make sure we uh, we have a chance to get to the, the whole show here tonight standard nickel uh, used forty times 
uh, in this game. Buffalo lined up in 11 personnel pretty much the entire game. They made it really easy on the Ravens to choose their package. They choose to, chose it for them when they line up in 11, which means two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, two defensive linemen, and five defensive backs, three of whom are corners because they're always putting three wide receivers on the field. So it's 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 called forcing the nickel for a reason, and, and it certainly did in this game. 40 plays, 224 yards, 5.6 yards per play. Um, it... Uh, this was a game where I, I I still am not comfortable with the Ravens' ability to cover against eleven personnel. Where do you come out from that? I you know I'm a lot more confident after this game. I thought Brandon Stevens played particularly well and had himself a pretty nice game. Um, and I think that as long as the Ravens continue to <clears throat> they can find a guy that fits in terms of what they're trying to do and intermingle what they're trying to do with coverages and safeties on that. Um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth. And so if Brandon Stevens is the guy, great. If, you know, Pepe's the guy, great. But, you know, it, it, I, I was I I was encouraged by Stevens' game, which makes me encouraged by their ability to play nickel. Okay, so Stevens picked up two more penalties in this game. One of them we've talked about already in terms of the roughing the passer. had another defensive hold. I, I haven't been happy with the grabbiness. I was actually a little surprised that they didn't stay with Pepe. Now, going back to last game, Jalen Armour Davis was in the game not as the slot corner but he was an outside corner he left after nine plays and two uh, sorry nine snaps two big plays during that time obviously that that wasn't good then they brought in Stevens and he lasted a half uh in fact he lasted exactly till the first through the first drive of the second half I'm not sure if there might have been some quad injury there but he left and, and had given up two big plays as well so it might have been a combination of injury and effectiveness I don't want to really get into that but Pepe Williams came on I think he outplayed both of them and and you know, with Buffalo, it they presented the Ravens with two smaller slot receivers. Our, Isaiah McKenzie got hurt during the game. Crowder was out there, and he played most of the game. And those guys are 5'9 and under, both of them. And it seems like if you're going to play Peppy Williams, my God, get him in in a game like this. Yeah, it seems like the what, the what the Ravens are doing, and my instinct on it was that, you know, Stevens is the first man up, and if he's not doing well, they're going to make the switch, and Pepe's going to get his shot. Um, and I thought Stevens played well enough not to cede his position in this game. And the Ravens weren't getting burned out of the slot. Um, and, you know, and, and I didn't feel like they were getting burned, um, you know, in the same way that Armour Davis was when he was being targeted um, in the, the New England game, um, et cetera. And so if that's I mean, if the outcome that we had in this game and the drop passes weren't usually in front of Stevens, they were in some other places, I thought, um, you know, if that's the type of performance we're going to get against the slot. I, I, I'm going to be happy with it. But. You know, I'll leave that to kind of Ravens coaches to decide. All right. Maybe we talk about Stevens a little later here in the show because uh, I, th- I think there's some things to say and we can we can do that. Uh, Ravens played one snap of rush nickel. I don't even know what to call this this package because the Ravens now have blurred the line between outside linebacker and inside linebacker with two players with Harrison and now Delshawn Phillips. Delshawn Phillips wins the Dan Cody Award. I'll tell you what that is in just a moment. By coming on and having the one play he's on for be a sack minus twelve for by for Oa, so he uh, uh, they also had Harrison on the play, uh, Pierre Paul and Queens. They had a total five inside line, sorry five linebackers on the play, just one defensive lineman. First time they've run that this season, and the first snap obviously for Delshawn Phillips for for the year. Uh, Dan Cody had I'm going to get this right. Something like 14 snaps for minus 22 yards in his Ravens career and a second round draft pick. That's not what you want. 
But in that 2006 season, he came in and he played against the Atlanta Falcons, and he looked really good. They played him all over the place. They played him at nose tackle on a third down in Rex Ryan's defense. They played him on both edges. They played him standing up, and he contained well against Michael Vick, did a really good job, and he was on the field for, I think, three sacks during during his plays that way. The next week, he got one play against Pittsburgh, and then he uh, he got hurt, and he never returned to the NFL. So that was pretty much his uh, – his whole career was in that. But Delshawn Phillips, uh, I think it's probably a good thing if he's not on the field. But for whatever reason, they decided they'd put him in for this play. And it's nice to see him actually flop on top of the downed quarterback and not draw a penalty for it <laughs> <laughs> uh, after Oway had the sack. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I am interested to see where the direction of the Ravens' creativity is going to head in terms of this offense. And, you know, we, we just we're seeing a ton of, Oa, the edge guys. So Oa and, and Pierre Paul in this game just playing a, a lot, um, and that that can't stand. And so I, it's it'll be interesting to see if the Ravens continue to try and get creative with what these packages end up looking like. All right, we're going to come back and do part two of the show, but I want to address this question before we do. How much of of my discomfort is due to the lack of a pass rush? So I'm saying I'm not real comfortable with the Ravens lining up against eleven. Uh, I think that's a fair question, Brad. I think that's it's probably about even. I'm not comfortable with who the Ravens have at slot corner. I'm not comfortable with Peter's ability to gamble as much with not having pass rush. Obviously, Peter's the master of understanding how the play call relates to his ability to jump a route. Uh, by the way, Peter's had a real nice route jump attempt in this game where it almost looked like he impacted the uh, receiver early. But what it really was is they're both going for the football in the same spot. You notice that? Was that the first play? That was the first yeah. play of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought I, I thought he had picked it when I watched it when it was happening live. I thought he had it. Yeah, well, exciting. It's uh, uh, it's it's good to see him playing as well as he has so far. And I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't know where you are on this, but would you extend Peters at this point? I would absolutely, without uh, unequivocally, extend Peters. And if that was the thing that it took to add an impact player via trade or some kind of signing or whatever that looked like, that I, I wouldn't hesitate for even half a second to kind of make that decision, but. Uh, my discomfort with this defense remains the pass rush. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, I, it's, it's non-existent. And, and like I said, I, I mentioned it earlier. I thought McDonald did a good job of finding opportunities to create pressure from external situations and look a little more. We got to, we got to kind of in, in Jason from huddle it up films, a, a half wink in this game for McDonald, I think a little bit. Um, but in that sense, the pass rush has got to get better in certain situations with four guys. I think there's reinforcements coming. I think it's going to make everybody look better. Um, and in particular, help the Ravens kind of air a little bit of extra help to the slot when they're able to generate that rush. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, just just lots of opportunities for that to work. And maybe uh, they we really do. They're an odd team and that they have options uh, at safety in particular to come up and do some things with coverage on the slot, to rush the slot, to 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 rush Hamilton. As well, you know, if they if they want to, it, it, Hamilton's a player kind of like Patrick Queen, came in with the reputation as a pass rusher anyway. If he's really messing up on the back end, getting him getting up close to the line of scrimmage, lining up on the slot or lining up even on a tight end on the edge, uh, is a great place to let him try and contribute. Make, just make a play. He's obviously, he's got speed, instincts. Seems to pretty pretty much understand where the football is. I'm not trying to decide where he needs to be, but where the football is, and and that's a 
that's an important skill that that I think he could probably uh, use well. He could be your cleanup guy on some sacks if you get pressure from another place. He could be the guy who gets there and gets the club first. So I, I'd, I'd like to see him used in some creative ways. Yeah, totally agree. All right, let's see. We'll come back to the second half in just a minute. Before we do, uh, Jordan, please tell people where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, you guys can find me at Raven Sit Room on Twitter. And I'm part of the Situation Room, a podcast that I do with Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Fergie, uh, where we try and break down the games, talk a little bit about the strategy and play calls that we're seeing on offense and defense and uh, how that's affecting the game. All right, outstanding. We'll be back in just a minute for the second half of the show. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.